Hey guys and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So I'm so, so excited for this episode 171 of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. And today's guest is probably one of the biggest guests that I've had on the podcast. And this is because of you guys, the amount of shares, the amount of downloads. Please, please, please continue to do so. So today's guest is the amazing Jordan Syed. So Jordan is a strength and training nutritional consultant uh, from New York and he's the owner and operator of side fitness in addition to holding several ipa powerlifting world records he's pn or precision precision nutrition certified and a west west side barbell certified strength coach he is also the former pt and coach of gary v or gary vaynerchuk who is one of the wealthiest men around at the minute and you may follow him up on socials already he is probably one of the most reliable and educated sources of information and nutritional info on social media out there his youtube is incredible and we talk about one of the videos they did recently if you're looking for education that side of things jordan's podcast is incredible jordan is an amazing human and we go through an awful lot of myths and that we spot in the industry um, we talk about how he got into the, the whole thing how he went from offering and going out and being kind of pushing himself and getting jobs through offering to clean up the rubbish and went into Westside Barbell which is a very old school gym I went in and offered to help them and push himself and had to prove himself that way we talk about his caffeine um, a does it dehydrate you and he did a YouTube video on that and we talk about how that and how it didn't go to plan uh, so kids don't try that video at home we talk about the, the three biggest problems that we see when people are losing weight we talk about dealing with the sentence of I've only lost X amount of weight in a certain amount of weeks. Any proof of butter in coffee and does it kind of burn more fat? We talk about is hit, is it the holy grail? We talks about kind of moving away from the ideas of needing to train seven days a week. Healthy eating doesn't necessarily mean elimination diet. Uh, the biggest nutrition gimmick, the biggest, the biggest gimmick or the piece of shit of advice he has tried himself. Um, and we also we, we talk about who he follows who, who he's looking for over in the UK and Ireland and who to watch out for and stuff and it's an incredible episode he's very generous on his time and I'm super excited for you guys to listen to the, amaz- the amazing episode that is and the amazing human that is Jordan Syatt Jordan thank you so much for coming on my pleasure man thanks for having me Jordan I don't know who doesn't know who you are but I'm going to get you to do a little brief intro uh, to talk to about how you got into this field how you got into the coaching realm and then how you ended up coaching one of the biggest names in business of Gary V. Yeah I mean so sort of a long story I'll try and make it as <laughs> as brief as possible but I got into fitness from uh from when I was a young a young kid I started wrestling when I was 8 years old and uh I remember I was in my living room with my brother and my mom and you know we're we're a short family. I'm only five foot four. I don't I don't know what that is. And uh, no, in like that the, metric works here. Yeah, it's all yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so pretty short. And uh, my mom like wanted us to be able to defend ourselves. You know, because we're the smaller kids in school. So she wanted us to. She she came in the living room and she was like, I, I want you kids to do wrestling. And the only wrestling that I knew at that point in my life was like WWE style, like the Undertaker, the Rock, like that kind of stuff. And so I remember I looked at her and I was like, you want me to hit somebody with a chair? And she was like, no, you idiot. It's like Olympic style wrestling. So I didn't know what that meant, but she put us into wrestling and I fell in love with it. It's just like, I, it's all I thought about. It's all I did. It's all I wanted to do. I was just obsessed with wrestling. And um, by the time I got to high school, I made varsity as a freshman. So I beat a junior up for the varsity spot, 
but I had to, uh, I had to cut a lot of weight. So I was cutting from 112 pounds to 103 pounds every week. And, um, you know, I, as a, as a freshman competing mostly against juniors and seniors, I had already been wrestling for a few years. So my technique was good. My endurance was good, but my strength wasn't where it needed to be just simply by age, right? Like I was 14 going up against mostly like 17, 18 year olds. And, uh, so what I did is I applied to a gym. I found a gym, a couple of towns over from me. And I, uh, I just asked, Hey, like I'll come in, I'll clean the floors. I'll take the trash out. I'll, I'll do whatever you need. I'll work for free. Just like, let me come in and work for you and learn how to lift. And I was really lucky because they took me under their wing and they, uh, they were incredibly science-based and, uh, and that's how I got into the fitness industry. And I was really lucky. Not only did they take me under their wing, but, uh, they, I didn't waste any time with nonsense fitness. Like usually when you're younger, you get in the fitness industry, you're reading magazines, you're reading a lot of BS. And I was really lucky because from 14 years old, I was in the science-based industry. They introduced me to people like Dan, John, Pavel Satsulin, Eric Cressy, uh, Mike Boyle, Mike Robertson, all these like really high level strength coaches from when I was 14 years old. And that was it. And so I, I think I started getting a higher level education before like about 10 years before most coaches start really learning the science of this stuff. Was that a West side barbell? Was that in? No, no. So West side was later. So that was, I was living in Boston and I was living on this in the suburbs of Boston. And that was in a town called Newton, Massachusetts. And then West side didn't happen until I was in college. So by the time I got to college, started powerlifting, I fell into the, you know, Louis trap of just like looking at, at Louis Simmons videos on YouTube being like, oh my God, this guy's incredible, which he is. And I just became entranced with whatever he, I was hypnotized by him. So I remember I was sitting in my college dorm room and I just wrote him an email basically saying the exact same thing I said to the gym when I was in high school saying, listen, let me come there. Let me take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. I'll walk your dogs. Let me do anything. Let me just come and work and, and, and learn from you and I'll work for free. And, uh, and his reply, and I still have the emails, his reply was, our weakest guy squats 800 pounds. What do you have to offer? And I remember getting that email. I, don't know, I was 20, 21 years old. And I was like, I think I, I was I was very cocky and arrogant. And it worked into, in my favor in that specific situation. Because in my mind, I was like, I can either sort of backpedal and be very polite, or I can go really hard. And I can be like, be like obnoxious with it. So I decided to go really hard and obnoxious with it. And I sort of met his fire with fire. And I was like, I don't give a fuck what your weakest guy does, what your strongest guy does. I'll come in there and I'll outwork every single one of you, including you. And, uh, the next day I got a phone call from him and, uh, and he was like, let's go come, come out to West side and, uh, we'll like have an interview. So I flew out to West side with my mom when I was like 2021. 20, and, you know, she was like 50, 50 year old, sweet little Jewish woman walking into Westside Barbell. She had no idea what she was getting into, like the strongest gym in the world, the biggest dudes in the world, just absolutely insane. And uh, Louie put me through two of the most unbelievably hard workouts of my life uh, that weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And um, literally every single exercise, everything he did, he was like, basically it was like, um, I went on the first day. I was like, what are we doing? He's like max effort lower. And, uh, and he was, I was like, okay, so what do you want me to start with? He was like, you're starting off with rack pulls. 
And I was like, okay, how much weight, how many sets and reps? And he goes, you're going to lift as heavy as you can until it hurts too much. And I was like, okay. So I did that for rack pulls. And then I was like, what's next? He was like, close dance box squats. I was like, cool. How many, how much weight, how many sets and reps? He was like, go as heavy as possible until it hurts too much. And, uh, I was like, okay, what's next glute ham raises, how much weight, how many sets and reps go as heavy as possible until it hurts too much. And that was his answer. That was his response for the entire weekend. By the time I was done, I was bloody and just so beyond sore and tired. And he shook my hand and said, all right, I'll see you over the summer. So I went back to school and, and then I, I went back to Louis and I trained with him for almost four months and my, I put 300 pounds on my total that summer. Wow. That's yeah. Mental. You talk about the, you kind of light up when you're talking about when you're starting off in relation to kind of offering to kind of clean up the rubbish and stuff. Do you feel that brought the kind of the hustle and stuff like that, that Gary V has and the two mix and match and they kind of connect into one and that kind of linked the two of you guys together. Like, like the, the stuff I learned at Westside or, or me just in general? general, the fact that you were willing to do all the un, the unsexy stuff freely. And then Gary V just hustle, hustle, hustle. And he wants more and more and more because I know you've spoken on previous episodes about putting out more content, hustle, 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 all that kind of stuff. Do, do yeah. you think that kind of merged you guys together? You know, I think, um, I think Gary and I are very similar. We're different in many ways, but we're similar in many ways. And I think we're similar in that uh, the families we come from and the parents that we had sort of raised us very similarly in that like, if you want, if you want to make money, you got to work and like, you don't deserve to get paid for your first job. I, my mom took my first paycheck. I'll never forget. My, I came back with my first paycheck and she was like, that's mine. I was like, what do you mean? That's yours. It's not, she was like, no tradition. First paycheck goes to the mom. And I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, you want to live under this roof? First paycheck goes to mom. Now, what I found out years later was that she put that in my bank account. I didn't know that, but she put it in my bank account. Um, and I think she just wanted to make sure it was there and like I wasn't going to spend it on something stupid. But, you know, it was, I think it was also a lesson in discipline and respect. And um, I think Gary's very similar. Gary was hustling and working hard from the time he was a kid. And, uh, you know, he, he, he put in all of the work in order to make all of his money. And I think I was very similar. Like I, I didn't need to get paid. It wasn't about getting paid. It was about, you know, just having the experience. It's incredible. And I know you've like, you put out incredible content and you can see that the amount of time and effort that you put into your content, because if you look at your YouTube channel, they're not short videos, they're long videos and they're <laughs> edited down from what they've been. Yeah. And I think the one that kind of caught my eye, particularly recently was the one in caffeine. So if there's any kids listen to that, do not try this video at home. <laughs> I have to put the disclaimer out. So I'm going to let you talk about it. It was recently about caffeine and if it hydrates you or dehydrates you, because I know there's this myth out there. So I'm going to let you talk about the idea, the concept and what the actual study showed. Yeah. So basically there's a very common myth that drinking coffee will dehydrate you. And this is super, super common. I hear all the time. A lot of clients will be like, Hey, someone at the office said I shouldn't drink coffee because it dehydrates you. Like, what do you think? And uh, to me, it never made sense. Like even before I looked at the research, I was like, I don't understand how it could dehydrate you because you're literally just drinking a cup full of water that was filtered through a bean. So I don't understand how people are, are being told that this is dehydrating. And the more I spoke with people, the more they said, well, caffeine is a diuretic. So since caffeine is a diuretic, it dehydrates you. It still didn't make sense to me. And I was like, okay, so hold on. So it's not coffee. It's you're saying it's the caffeine in the coffee. Cool. So now we've made that distinction. And then I was like, well, what is the definition of 
a diuretic. Like what is a diuretic? What does it actually do? A diuretic literally just means it makes you pee. If like, that's all, that's all it does. Just, it makes you pee. So by definition, water is also a diuretic and people don't understand that. If you drink a lot of water, what do you do? You pee it up. Yeah. Right. The, the thing about a diuretic, like caffeine is sometimes it can make you pee out more than you would have if there was no caffeine involved, which is true. But just because you're peeing out more doesn't mean you're peeing more than you're actually taking in. And this is what people just have this, this assumption that, oh, a diuretic makes you pee. So whatever you're drinking doesn't count. That's not true. Even though it's a diet, caffeine is a diuretic. It's you're not actually peeing out more than you're taking in the, the way that it could be an issue is if you were taking caffeine pills, which some people do to try and, you know, if they don't want to drink coffee, maybe they don't like the taste of coffee. If you take a caffeine pill to get the energetic and uh, mental, uh, mental focus effects that caffeine has to offer, but you don't drink enough, then yes, you could be dehydrated, but it's because you're not drinking enough, not because the, the coffee is dehydrating you. So I basically decided, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to drink only coffee for 24 hours. And uh, I'm going to take measurements of my pee. So because it's a pretty good standard of measurement based on your pee color to see if you're hydrated or not. If your pee is very, very dark, you're not hydrated, you're, you're probably dehydrated. And if your pee is very, very clear, then you could be hydrated or even overhydrated. So uh, for 24 hours, I, I plan to do that. I got about it was about 12 hours in when I realized I had had over a thousand milligrams of caffeine and uh, I started to freak out. Like I started to have a really bad anxiety attack. My heart was not happy. Uh, my, like the anxiety that came with that was like just compounded on each other. So the more anxious I got, the more my heart went crazy, the more my heart went crazy, the more anxious I got really bad cycle. So I stopped drinking coffee at the 12 hour mark. But what was cool was up to that point, I had only drank coffee and you could see my pee throughout the day started to get more and more hydrated. Like I it got more and more clear throughout the day. So even though my own made up study, uh, I couldn't make it to the end of it. It was very clear that by the end of the day, having only drank water, I actually had a net hydrating effect. And uh, it seemed, it seemed to do pretty well. People liked the video. It's it's a bananas video as you can see the, the the different disparity between the first one and the last one. Uh, how was your stomach? <laughs> stomach was actually surprisingly totally fine. Stomach was I I have a an iron stomach. I have a really strong stomach. It's the only thing that I can't take very well is dairy. Like if I if I have just cheese or ice cream, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in the bathroom immediately and it's not gonna be good. But you know, spicy foods, coffee, whatever it is. Like I, I'm pretty good with almost anything. Jesus, yeah, you're a better man than me. Um, this, the, like, the, we're talking about coffee. And there's another question I was going to talk about because I know this is coming up, but I know I've been asked this a few times, even by my mates. And I'm kind of like, I'm, I need to get new friends. But they talk about putting butter into the coffee, and they're asking me about the benefits of this. Does it actually burn any more fat than any other? Does it have any benefit? Really, is what putting the, butter the, in your coffee? Yeah. Um, the only possible benefit that I could think of is if you want to gain weight and you're having a really hard time putting on weight, well, then putting 250 calories, 300, 400 calories worth of butter in your coffee. Great. Like you're putting pure fat in your coffee and it's a really easy way to get more calories. But if you're trying to lose weight or just be healthier and you're putting fucking butter in your coffee 
Like just logically, like what, what is wrong with you? How could you possibly think that's going to make you burn fat? Not to mention people really, it's funny. People confuse the word diuretic with dehydrate. People confuse the phrase burn fat with losing fat. They're two different things. Burning fat as a fuel source is very different than actually losing body fat from your body. It's two different things. Your body can use fat as a fuel source without losing body fat. Uh, it's sort of like you can eat fat, you can eat butter, but just because you're eating fat doesn't mean you're gaining fat, right? The only way to lose fat is to be in a calorie deficit. Just because your body might be using fat as an energy source doesn't mean you're losing body fat. What are the biggest things and what are the biggest problems you see when people are actually trying to start to lose weight? Because there are many, but what are your kind of like top two or three that you see in a rate? Especially when you, you, you guys do the texts now as well, when you kind of get messages in from people, like what are the main main problems you see people when they're losing weight? I mean, the, I would say the biggest one is um, people have no idea how much they're eating. Yeah. I think the, that's the biggest one, most widespread one. This goes for even people who aren't necessarily trying to lose weight. It's just people who are just living and maybe they, they know they should lose some weight, but they're not trying yet. Um, and it also goes for people who are actively trying to lose weight. They have no idea how many calories they're putting in their body. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I say if you're starting out and you don't know where to begin, all, you, all I want you to do for the first 30 days is literally just count how many calories you eat. I don't even want you to have a certain calorie target just yet. I just want you to count how many you're eating for a couple of reasons. Number one is usually when you start tracking how much you're eating, you start writing it down and being aware of it, you end up eating less because you're actually like, oh shit, I didn't realize I was putting that thing of M&Ms in my mouth. I didn't realize I was having my kids chicken nuggets. I didn't realize all the foods I was putting in my mouth without being aware of it. And also because when you actually start counting your calories and start weighing and measuring your food and realizing what a portion size looks like, you're like, oh my God, I had no idea that a portion size of chicken looked like that. I thought it looked like the size of my hand. It's actually like barely the size of my palm. And, and people can start to see, wow, I've actually been overeating when I thought I wasn't eating enough. What about people that kind of talk about the likes of my fitness pal? Because some people kind of say, oh, that's obsessive and they have to, they didn't have to weigh everything in relation to that, but that's not the case. Can you kind of talk that a little bit through? Because people can kind of get bogged down in it. I know people come from various different backgrounds and binge eating and eating disorders and stuff like that, but that's not what this is kind of aimed at. This is general population that don't have those kind of ailments. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. A lot of people, oh, I think it's a little bit obsessive to, uh, you know, go on a website and, uh, you know, weigh and measure the food. It's very interesting because if you say, hey, uh, here's a recipe that you wanted. Here, here's the, like, if here, I want you, you want a great chicken Parmesan recipe. What do you do? You go to a website, you look up chicken Parmesan, you find the ingredients, you weigh and measure all the ingredients, you put it all together and you make it. So when it's for a recipe, it's fine. But when it's measuring how much you're eating, weighing and measuring it and looking at a website is all of a sudden obsessive. It's like, this is a little bit ridiculous. It's just on one hand, you want to make a good recipe. On the other hand, you don't want to be accountable for how, for how much you're eating is really what it comes down to. So it's like, I understand weighing and measuring your food can be monotonous and annoying. That's why I don't do it anymore. But I'm not saying you have to do it for the rest of your life. I'm saying do it for 30 days, do it, fuck 30 days, do it for one day. Yeah. Like just do it one day. Guarantee you, you'll be shocked at how much you're eating. It's like, if you make, if you research a recipe, you have a great chicken parm recipe, you, you want to find the best chicken parm recipe. 
you might go on the internet, you find four, five, six different recipes, you try each one, you take all the different ingredients, you weigh and measure them. But when you find the one that you really like and you've made it enough times, you don't have to weigh and measure them every time. You learn how to eyeball it. You learn how to figure out, okay, I don't need to put it on the scale. I know this is what six ounces looks like. I know this is what this looks like. Same thing with counting your calories. For the first, I don't know, week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, weigh and measure your food. Figure it out. Take the time to invest in learning and educating yourself. Then after a month or so, you don't need to do it forever. You might It might be a good idea every now and then, every three, six, 12 months, just to have a week where you track your calories just to you know see where you're at. But to say it's obsessive is, is ridiculous. And it's really just lazy, to be honest. I really like the comparison of when you're looking up a recipe and you're saying, and you've, you see, see exactly what's in that and you're kind of putting in the baking powder or whatever it may be. The other big thing, the holy grail that's out there is the likes of HIIT training. And I know I started when I first started training, when I started losing my weight loss journey was in relation to HIIT because I thought it was the holy grail. Um, my kneecaps didn't particularly like me. But uh, is HIIT the holy grail for fitness? Because it's it's out there an awful lot. There's guys, there's a main guy over in the UK, Joe Wicks, and there's the insanity workouts over in the <laughs> States and stuff. And that's what wrecked my knees. But is it the holy grail? <laughs> It's funny. I've seen I've seen James Smith shit on Joe Wicks a lot. <laughs> yeah, but he respects him so much at the same time. Yeah, it's uh no, I, I'm James and I are really good friends and uh I respect him immensely. Um I think hit is massively overrated. I think it's uh hit is a really good tool for higher level athletes trying to improve their athletic performance, depending on their sport. Hit is not a good tool for fat loss. It's, um, it can be a great tool for someone who's a higher level fitness enthusiast who enjoys it and whose body can handle it. And maybe they just like to do it and they enjoy it. So they, they intelligently incorporate it a couple times a week for the vast majority of people, especially for the people who have a lot of weight to lose, who are not higher level fitness enthusiasts, who have, uh, maybe a lot of weight, a lot of stress on their joints who haven't trained properly using hit is going to do more harm than good. And they'd probably be better off just doing some low intensity cardio for 30 or 45 minutes. Like, I don't know, walking or riding a bike, as opposed to putting their body in under an unbelievable amount of stress, sprinting, risking, just absolutely destroying their Achilles, their knees, their hips, their back. Not to mention, if you look at the research, most people get way hungrier from a bout of high intensity interval training relative to lower intensity cardio, like walking. So, I mean, it, it's a no brainer for me. And the one thing that a lot of people will use, they'll be like, well, you know, EPOC, excessive post-exercise oxygen consumption, like you burn more calories after the workout from doing HIT than you do lower, uh, low intensity cardio. And whenever someone says that to me, I'm like, well, how many extra calories? Like what's, you say you burn extra, but how many? Like, what's the actual data on that? And they're always like, uh, I, I don't know. It's like, well, if you actually look at the research, you'll burn anywhere from, depending on, on the duration of your high intensity workout on the, the high end, the absolute high end is about 80 extra calories. So mazel tov, you've just burned about the size of a small apple because, and you've risked injuring yourself. You probably increased your overall hunger and uh, great. You want to eat an extra small apple? Phenomenal. You could have done the exact same thing by walking low intensity for 45 minutes. Yeah. I think also if you're like, you're super stressed, you're not sleeping, you can't pour from an empty cup as well. I think that has to be brought into it as well. Uh, and I think I'm delighted you said that. The other thing that you're, you're, you promote balance and that's, and it's, I think that's a credit to yourself as well, because there are a lot of, there's a lot of gimpery out in the, in the, in the world out there of fitness. 
And you talk about healthy eating isn't or doesn't mean an elimination diet. Can you kind of expand on that sentence a little bit more? Because when people think they go on a diet, it's like, I have to get rid of all my foods. I'm going to, I'm going to suck air. Yeah. And I think that's one of the major reasons people fail, right? Is because they think if they want to lose weight, they have to get rid of their favorite foods. It's like, that's a really shitty idea. It's like, I think the reason we have to understand why it's a shitty idea is because the goal isn't to lose weight. Anybody can lose weight. As I'm sure most people listening can attest to, anybody can lose weight. The hard part is keeping it off. So if you're going to try and keep weight off, how are you going to be able to do that if you're not allowing yourself to have any of your favorite foods? It's completely unsustainable. And for me, one of my favorite phrases is if the methods are unsustainable, the results are unsustainable, right? So if the method you use to lose a lot of weight is unsustainable in the long term, then trying to then then actually sustaining it long term is not going to be possible. So the method you use to lose weight has to be sustainable from the very beginning. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up for, for failure, regardless of how quickly you can lose weight using that method. And usually, the faster you lose weight, the more unsustainable the method is. So for me, I, if you're really going to try and lose weight and keep it off forever, you have to find a way that allows you to include your favorite foods in moderation without guilt. And that's one of the reasons I love tracking your calories so much is because you can do that relatively easily. And once you understand the concept of of calories and you understand that all calories are created equal, then you can fit a donut in, you can fit a a Big Mac in, you can fit a slice of pizza in several times throughout the week and be totally fine. Do you think people try to be too perfect when perfection doesn't really exist? Oh yeah. It's a great question. Absolutely. And and what'll happen is inevitably when they, first of all, their, their perception of perfect is bullshit. Like, (laughs) They're like, perfect means only eating celery and carrots and water. It's like, what what are you talking about? That's just, that's not perfect. That's stupid, number one. Number two is when inevitably, whether it's a day, a week, or a month in, they are no longer perfect and they have a mistake, then they use that as a justification to quit altogether. So it's the pursuit of perfection, which they, they don't even have a definition of perfection. It's all made up in their head. The pursuit of perfection leads them to failure because when they can't live up to this perfection they justify quitting and then the guilt comes in because they haven't met up to that imperfect they haven't met up to expectations yeah it, it's yeah i it's i think they try people try i've been there myself with with the silly diets and all that kind of stuff when i first started out and it, it is hard to get out of that psyche but i think if you can put your if you can look at what you've done and seeing what hasn't done it has it been the method or has it been kind of like the crazy stuff that you've been going for has it been the stupid meal plans and stuff what are your thoughts on kind of meal plans for general population I hate them. I fucking hate meal plans. I just not, not going to hold that. <laughs> I hate, I, I hate meal plans. They're fucking awful. Um, I, it's, it's like giving a man a fish fish versus teaching a man how to fish, right? It's like, I could give you a meal plan and, and you might have the, the perfect, um, the perfect plan for the day. But what happens when you get bored of those foods or what happens when you travel or what happens when those foods aren't available or like, there's so many variables here. I don't want to give you a plan that you feel like you have to follow. Even if I give someone a meal plan and say, Hey, these are just examples. They still think, all right, this is what I've got. I've got to have the ground Turkey. I've got to have the sweet potato. Can't have a white potato. Cause he wrote sweet potato. It's like, I, I hate them. They, they, they don't allow the individual to learn. It, it's all about just mimicking, mimicking, mimicking. And, and for me, it, it's, I look at coaching as teaching 
right? And I've always said, if I wasn't in the fitness industry, I would be a professor. Like I, I like teaching. Any teacher will tell you, like, it's not about, um, it's not about like, if we're going to use math as an example, you you could, you could uh, have a student, you could give a student like the, the sheet of paper that has all the answers on it for a test. You could give that student the sheet of paper and they could go in and they could memorize all of them and write them all down. So they aced the test, but it doesn't mean they actually knew how to solve the problems. It doesn't mean that like, if you took those answers away and then they went to do those problems, they could actually do it. They just memorized the answers you gave them. It, that's nothing special. Anyone can memorize that. The issue is, can you do the multiplication? Can you do the long division? Can you, can you understand the order of events in which this mathematical equation is supposed to go? And when they can understand that, then it doesn't matter what the problem is. They can always solve it. But if you just give them the answers to the test, they can only give you the answers to that one test. I think it comes back to the, the whole thing of that it's personal training. It's not a dictatorship. Like it's, it has to be something personal to the person. But like if you, most people will get a meal plan, they'll Google one and then they'll send it to their clients. Yep. And I think yep. that has to be, something has to be brought in to kind of get rid of that side of things. Um, one of the questions that kind of comes in a lot for myself, and I know it comes in for yourself from, from working with clients is how do you deal with the sentence of I've only lost X weight in four weeks? Because I know I've seen a few videos that you've, that you've had rants on. That one really makes me lose it. I know, uh, that's why I asked. It's funny because it's usually something like I've only lost four pounds. I've only lost six pounds. I've only lost eight pounds, which is funny because those amounts of weight to lose in four weeks are incredible. Yeah. Right. So, so the first and foremost aspect, we have to understand what's a great rate of progress uh, for weight loss. Generally speaking, half a pound to one pound a week on average is amazing. That's like great, great sustainable progress. So if someone comes to me and says, oh, I've only lost four pounds in four weeks. I'm like, what the fuck is the problem? You've lost an average of a pound a week. What's wrong? Like, why is that bad? They're like, well, I don't know. I thought I would have, I thought I would have lost more. Why did you think that? Before we started working together, I told you half a pound to a pound a week would be great progress. And you responded in this email, amazing, let's go. Why the fuck are you surprised? This is amazing. And they're like, yeah, I know. But you know, Susan at the office lost like double that in the last four weeks. I'm like, why the fuck do you care what Susan did? Why are you comparing your weight loss to Susan? Number one, you don't know if what she's doing is sustainable. You don't know if she's telling the truth. She's not you. This isn't a you versus Susan game. This is a you versus you game. And all that matters is, are you making progress? Are you getting better? So for you to be so focused on your weight as the sole measurement of your progress is fucking ludicrous. I told you when we started working together that that isn't the sole measure of your progress. I told you this is a good rate of progress. So why the fuck are you letting it bother you so much? You need to relax. You need to be patient. You didn't gain this weight in, 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 a, in, four, in four weeks. You're not going to lose it all in four weeks. Put your fucking patient pants on, stop complaining, and let's get back to work. How do you find, when you say that sentence of, it didn't take you that long to put the weight on, do you normally kind of get a little bit of kickback or do you find someone's receptive to it majority of the time? So it's different speaking with you than when I'm speaking with my clients, right? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would never go at a client like that. Um, <laughs> well, I hope not. <laughs> uh, usually, I, the way I structure a conversation is very question-based. So I ask a lot of questions. And uh, so if someone's like, oh, I've only lost four pounds in four weeks, I'll, instead of me being like, well, here's a good rate, I'd be like, okay, cool. Tell me like, what do you think a good rate of weight loss is? Like, 
from, from a scientific perspective, what's a good rate of weight loss. And then they'll be like, Oh, I know, like you said half a pound to one pound a week. I'm like, cool. So what does that mean? Does that mean you're making slow progress or, or great progress? And they're like, well, it means I'm making great. I'm just being impatient. I'm like, that's right. Yeah. You're just, you're just being impatient. And, and sometimes I'll be like, listen, it's very easy to, uh, to get wrapped up in comparing yourself to other people. It's very easy to, um, to, to convince yourself that you're not making the progress you should be making. You have to remember you didn't get to where you are in four weeks. You're not going to get to where you want to be in four weeks. And, and when I frame it like that, people really, they respond very well to it. And it sort of puts them in a place of like, okay, I just need to be more patient. Yeah. I think what you said there is it's the same thing, just wrapped slightly differently for, uh, for someone. Um, in relation to when someone is kind of starting off in their journey and they kind of fill in a form or whatever it may be, and they say they're going from zero training, they're not even walking. And then on the form, it's like, how many days a week do you want to train? Eight. I want to train eight days a week. But how do you kind of move someone away or tips for someone moving away from what training all the time when they've really done nothing? It's kind of like that first of January mentality kind of creeps in. When they want to work out like way yeah. too much. Yeah. I mean, I treat it very basically. I'm like, listen, uh, especially like if they signed up for coaching, I'm like, my programs are three days a week or four days a week. That's it. Like that. If you want to follow my program, it's either three or four days a week, period. So if you want to uh, not do my program, that's totally fine. But if you want to do my program, you're either going to be training three or four days a week. And if you train more than that, then you can't complain that my program didn't work because you weren't doing my program. And that's really just how I, how I frame it. But when you first started that, that you, I'd say that's from the years and years of experience and you've got the authority now to be able to say that, but when yep. you were at the beginning, how did you manage those expectations? Um, basically even at the beginning, I was pretty blunt to be honest, but even at the beginning, cause I was a competitive power lifter and, and I was, I was doing really well with competitive power lifting. And even at the beginning, I'd be like, listen, I'm an elite competitive powerlifter. And I remember one of the things I used to say, I haven't thought about this in a while. I'd always be like, how much do you think an Olympic athlete strength trains? And they'd be like, I don't know. And then I would show them some programs from like Olympic athletes who have their programs public or from their coaches. I'd be like, this Olympic athlete trains four times a week. Why do you think you need to work out more than this Olympic athlete? And there's no answer to that. No average individual needs to train more than an Olympic athlete. Like that's ridiculous. So for me, it was always like, listen, I understand you want to get in the gym. You want to, you want to see results as quickly as possible. Like you want to do the work. I was like, you have to understand you're not going to want to do this forever. You're like, you're not going to want to work out six, seven days a week forever. God forbid you get injured. You're not going to be able to do that forever. Like this isn't realistic. So I'd rather you start with less and make progress there, then begin with too much and then drop off. So, you know, and I had people, notably CrossFitters, I would have a bunch of CrossFitters over the years of me coaching them be like, Hey, I want to do your program, but I also want to do a wad every day. And I also want to do this. I want to do that. I'd be like, listen, that's fine. But if you work with me, you have to do my program. And if you don't do my program, if you add a wad on top of it and this and that, and you're not getting the results that you want, you can't blame me. And that's how it would go. And that, that was literally it.
I think that's an amazing point that if Olympic if if Olympic athletes are only doing four days, why do you need to go, why do you need to do more? Yeah. What's the what's the stupidest thing you've actually done for yourself with your own nutrition? Because I know I've done some stupid shit. Oh, I've done a lot of stupid shit. Um, I think the stupidest thing that I ever fell for was um, thinking I couldn't have grapes because of the insulin response. I, I remember, so I was doing I was doing intermittent fasting, and I've got nothing no, nothing against intermittent fasting. Uh, it's great for many many people. But I started intermittent fasting when I was 17 or 18 years old, and I was following Ori, <coughs> Ori Hoffmeckler's The Warrior Diet, which is basically you fast for 20 hours a day, and then you have a four-hour eating window. And um, I did it because my wrestling coach was doing it, and he swore by it. And I was like, sweet. All right, cool. I'll do it. And even as, as extreme as The Warrior Diet is, I still am not completely against it because I think it does work for some people. The stupid part of it was, I remember when I got to the chapter of foods that were not okay to have, and uh, I was reading the, the part about grapes. And I remember I was eating a bag of grapes as I got to that part in the book. And I was like, oh my God. And I threw the grapes out. I threw the, and I was, cause I was at the gym that I was working at from the time I was 14. I was at that gym in the break room. I was eating the grapes, reading the book. Oh fuck. Threw the grapes out. And I thought the day was ruined. I was like, I just ruined my entire day because I ate grapes. And now, you know, years later, I can be like, what a fucking idiot. Whoever got fat from eating grapes? Nobody. Nobody ever got, no one was ever like, you know what put on the last 50 pounds? It was, it was the After grapes. The grapes. Yeah. It was the grapes. So I think that was probably the, the dumbest thing I fell for. What gimmick would you get rid of out of nutrition out there in the industry at the minute? What would I get rid of? Yeah. There's That's so many. A, there's a ton. I mean, right now, I've seen a lot of this like M sculpt bullshit. This like, uh, I don't even, it's like they send electrical impulses into your body and they say that it burns fat and that it like tones your muscles. I saw one influencer posting it and she said that it's the equivalent of doing 20,000 crunches, like just one session of it. And I looked it up and it was like one package of them was like $4,000. And like you go in for 30 minutes and have them like shock you for the entire time. It's basically like, um, electromuscular muscle, yeah. uh, like stimulation. And, uh, they just say that it burns fat and tones your muscle. And all you have to do is lie there. And I was like, oh my God. And I've seen a lot of people doing it. And in relation to kind of like the lessons you learn from yourself for, for having a business, because people can be amazing at coaching themselves or having coaches to look after their own training. But in relation to kind of putting your education into the business side of things, what mistakes, what's the biggest mistake you've made and what would be the best piece of advice for someone, particularly with this weird time that we're in? I'm not sure what it's like over in the States, but in Ireland, it's not great at the minute. But what would be your recommendation to someone who's starting out in the industry at the minute? For someone who's like just starting out in the industry, the number one thing is become a great coach. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing this industry lacks. And, and that's one of the reasons why people always ask me, especially as I was coming up in the industry, um, I started making content in 2011, July of 2011. When I was at Westside Barbell, I made my website and started making articles before Instagram existed. Um, and in 2014, 2015, 2016, people are always like, 
aren't you worried? You know, the industry is getting so saturated and there, there are so many people. And I was always like, no, I was never worried. My buddy, Mike, who's coming over right now, um, we always laugh about this because the industry, there, there are a lot of coaches. There are very few good coaches and there are even fewer good coaches who make good content on a consistent basis. I think the biggest mistake I see coaches making is trying to make content too soon. Um, and and I, I shouldn't say trying to make content too soon. I should say trying to make their job content creation too soon before they're actually a good coach. When you first start out, the vast majority of your time should be studying. That's really it. Like learn, learn to, like, it's so funny. I talk to a lot of coaches nowadays who became a coach basically from looking on Instagram and they'll ask me for help and advice and I'll get them, I'll get them on the, get on the phone with them. And I'll say, what's your favorite book that you've read about coaching? And they'll be like, Instagram accounts or books. And, I, and I'm like, book, what's your favorite book that you've read about program design, about coaching your clients, like about, about anything coaching. And they're like, I haven't read any books. That's a fucking problem. It's like, if all your education is from Instagram, you're fucked. So you should spend the vast majority of your time when you first start out studying like learning, reading real live books, as crazy as that sounds nowadays, get your hand on some books, learn about program design, learn, learn about nutrition, learn about coaching. And then from there, by all means, make content to document your process, make film videos of your clients progressing as you're coaching them in person. Um, but I think the biggest mistake I see coaches or people who want to be coaches now making is they're, tr they're, they're trying to get into online coaching to make a lot of money as opposed to getting into coaching to be a great coach and help people. And if you start off with the intent to help many, uh, as many people as possible and to be a great coach, eventually you can be, be a wonderful online coach and be very successful, but it's going to take a while. How do you filter through the old, your own, the, the bullshit out there yourself when you're doing your research? Because you, you, like you quote papers, you kind of go through the research an awful lot, even from what we've spoken about this evening. Like, how do you kind of filter through the, the, your, the bullshit yourself? Was it self-taught or were you kind of like the amount of mentors that you've had, the people you've surrounded yourself with? It was a lot of surrounding myself with the right people. Um, the people I surrounded myself with were very research-based um, and that helped a lot. I got really big into reading uh, articles online and I always noticed the articles that had citations in them were better and more informative than the ones that didn't. And they seemed to make more sense. And then, but even then there are many articles that have citations that are bullshit. So first I was like pulled in different directions because two different articles written by two different authors, both had citations, both saying the complete opposite thing. Then I actually started to read the citations. Like I actually clicked on the citation and I started to read the article. And, you know, most people never do that. Like yeah. most people never actually read the article. And the biggest thing, one of the biggest helps I ever had, I got a product when I was 21 or 22. It was called How to Read Research. And it was literally just a guy who, uh, his name is Mark Young. He took the product down recently, which I was talking to him. I don't know why he took it down, but it was called how to read fitness research. And, um, it was literally him doing a screen recording of going through PubMed and going from everything from how to research different articles to how to go through them and how to critically analyze them for like on how to actually read the study to know, is this a valid study? What are the pros? What are the cons? Then I subscribed to Alan Aragon's research review, 
when I was really, really young, $10 a month, best investment I've ever made. I'll never unsubscribe from that. And reading that and seeing how Alan could take different studies and then break them down in the pros and the cons helped me further see, okay, so this is, um, this is the right way to critically analyze a study. And then from there, from, from that point, you not only develop a, a great way to, to actually scrutinize what you're reading, but also you develop a network of people you trust, right? So in terms of if I see Alan publish something, I'm going to trust that what he's saying is accurate based on the most up-to-date research. And sometimes I'll trust him blindly, which is not a good idea. You shouldn't trust anybody blindly. But if there's something I don't think makes sense or I'm not sure on, I know how to go to the actual study and critically analyze it and, and look for something that maybe he missed or didn't address. Do you think coaching's in a good place at the minute or do you think that it's full of twats? <laughs> Both. Uh, I think it's full of twats. And I love talking with someone from the UK, like, cause I can actually say that I could not <laughs> say you, two things you can't say in the U S you can't say twat. You can't say the C word. Uh, but I see a lot of people from the UK and Australia using both those words. I'm like, Oh man, like I wish I had that accent because then I could use that word. Um, I think there's a lot of twats. I think there's a lot of bad coaches, but I think coaching has never been in a better place than it is right now. Um, I think there's never been more readily accessible, high quality information to the masses than there is right now. I remember when I was younger, I would go into a gym, Gold's Gym, LA Fitness, whatever it is, and I would just see people doing the dumbest shit all over the place. And um, even as, you know, 10 years ago or so, but for the last five years, I go into a gym. I see everybody doing farmer's walks and deadlifts and, and planks and glute bridges, everybody. And yeah, there are people are doing stupid shit too, but the vast majority of people are at the very least trying to do really good movements. And that wasn't what it was like 10 years ago. So even just based on what I see in, in average gyms from average gym goers, what I see them doing, I'm like, okay, people, even if they don't understand it, they're doing things better now. And I think it's largely because of what's available to them. Yeah. And what, like, if you had two, two, three accounts, either from the UK, Ireland, America, Australia, that you would kind of recommend someone to follow for either training, one from training, one from nutrition, and one from just general? From the UK? UK, Ireland, doesn't really matter. Oh, man. Pressure. I'm trying to think specifically from the UK or Ireland. Um, I mean, Barry's fitness, big fan of Barry's fitness. Uh, I actually did a seminar at his gym in Waterford. Um, he puts out some really good content. I'd like to see him put out more content and I'm on him about that. Um, I think, uh, you know, James Smith, I think does a great job. I think he does a wonderful job. I think recently his, his content has gone more towards just life in general, which yeah. coincides with his recent book, not a life coach, uh, which I love that content. It's just not as much fitness based as it was, uh, which is totally fine. Like I have nothing wrong, nothing, not a problem with that at all, but I'm trying to think specific fitness, you know, Darren, Darren, Darren Cartall. Darren's, has, Darren's been on this. Darren's brilliant. Yeah. He's great. He's, and he's really in a phase of like just straight up fitness content, which I really like a lot. Uh, Darren's doing a wonderful job. Um, trying to think of it. The issue is I don't follow many fitness people. And I don't interact with much fitness content. Um, I'm at a choice. 
What's up? Is that out of choice or is that kind of you filtered through the crap? I fucking hate following fitness stuff. Um, you know, I've been in the industry for 15 years now, almost 16 years. And, um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fitness coach, but that's not, that doesn't define who I am. Right. It's like, I have way more interest. If you look through my explore feed and through like my, my feed, it's funny. Gary Vaynerchuk told me one time, he was like, if you really want to know what someone's really interested in, if you want to know who someone is, what someone is really like, look at their explore feed and it'll tell you exactly what they're like. Um, if you look at my explore feed, the vast majority of my explore feed are mixed martial arts, boxing, fighting, jujitsu, and the office is like just the TV show. So the US it, or the UK one, us one for sure. Um, and that's literally the vast majority of my, my explore feed because you know, I mean, the fitness industry is great, but I don't want to look at what everyone else is doing. Like I, I see enough of it with my clients and my own content. Like I'm fucking tired of it. So James, Darren and Barry, I think are great. Amazing. Jordan, Ike, I know you are a tie for time and I can thank, I can talk to you all evening, but where can people find out about your YouTube, the the podcast, where can people work with you on the, on the website? Yeah. So YouTube podcast, Instagram, all of it. It's all, it's all on the Google machine. If you want to just put my name into Google, Jordan Syatt, S-Y-A-T-T, you'll find it all. Podcast, YouTube, everything. Jordan, I cannot thank you enough for coming on this evening. And uh, I know you're conscious of time and stuff like that, but it's, it, there's so many myths busted, guys. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please do tag us up on your story. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. You were a great host. Thank you so much, my man.